Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick. While fresh from the turbulence caused by the pandemic, retailers are facing more uncertainty with rising inflation and persistent supply chain difficulties creating new challenges. However, our final guest, Doug Stevens, the Retail Profit, believes that now more than ever, retailers need to focus on enhancing their customer experience. Doug, you're an old friend of the show, but when you last joined us on Business Matters, we were in the midst of the pandemic, with restrictions curtailing retail activity all over the world. With restrictions now no longer a factor, how is the retail sector rebounding? Good morning, Carl. It's great to be with you again. Well, it's been a really interesting dynamic. We saw actually fairly robust spending during the pandemic, and what we're seeing coming out of the pandemic is almost a reversal of that, depending on the category that you're in. So what are we seeing? Well, we're seeing interest rates are creeping up. The economy was overheating, so central banks are now trying to put the brakes on that with interest rate hikes. We're seeing a little bit of the fervor come out of the real estate market around the world in major cities. So again, a lot of consumers felt on paper that they were getting wealthier as their real estate assets appreciated. Now we're starting to see a pullback. So I would say that there's a general sense of nervousness today among consumers. And, you know, we're starting to really see a change in behavior that is now impacting the bottom lines of a lot of retailers. So what advice are you providing to retailers in that regard? We were talking about it before we jumped on the air today. But, you know, I think that, again, what COVID sort of exposed was the idea that it wasn't just a a, a virus that attacked vulnerabilities in humans. It also attacked vulnerabilities in corporations around the world. And those corporations that came into the crisis with the greatest number of vulnerabilities, be they economic, uh, be they uh, problems with their customer experience, uh, problems with the core technologies that they were using, whatever the case may be, COVID really zeroed in on those vulnerabilities and, and made those brands pay a, a price early in the in the crisis. I think the lesson in all of that is that Brands should be using this opportunity right now to innovate, to upgrade, to solidify their position, to reinforce the relationships that they have with customers, and if anything, provide even more value to hang on to those customers uh, through what could be a relatively rough economic patch over the next year or perhaps two years. So it's kind of um, using this as an opportunity as opposed to seeing it as a, as a potential economic obstacle. And which retailers should our listeners be looking to to get inspiration from? I think one of the most inspiring stories that I have come across uh, over the last number of years, frankly, a story of sort of brand reinvention, brand focus, and, and a brand having a clear sense of purpose is really the Nike story. You know, in in 2017, Nike found itself with a a stock price of $51, brand equity that many would argue was sagging, that brand was sort of being commodified in the market. And Mark Parker at that time took a completely different direction. They stepped back from a lot of their retail distribution that he regarded as undifferentiated. They took much greater control of their own channels uh, to market, be it through their web properties, their online content, or their physical stores. They truly focused on building great experiences in store. 
And they found that those experiences in store paid dividends when consumers shopped online afterwards. Uh, to the tune of a 30% lift in online sales among customers who had been to a Nike store prior. So they really found this sort of lightning in a bottle. And through the pandemic, their performance has been uh, nothing short of stellar. Uh, They sit today with a stock price that is three times what it was going into the pandemic. And uh, they've really proved this this thesis around uh, creating customer experiences and, and seeing the dividends that that pays. And Doug, if you were to go out and start a retail business yourself today, what would the business model look like? I think one of the most compelling business models that I have come across and and something that I would certainly undertake myself if I were venturing into the retail market is the notion that a physical store or physical stores, a chain of stores, can be, in fact, a powerful media channel for brands. It's something I've talked about for, you know, at least the last decade or so. This notion that while as a distribution point, physical stores are becoming somewhat outmoded uh, in a a very digital world, they are not the efficient means of distribution that they once were. With that said, however, they're becoming a highly, highly powerful means of converting consumers into loyal customers, telling brand stories, bringing consumers into the brand ecosystem and really allowing them to experience it. And one of the most compelling models I've seen recently is a a company that I advise to based in New York that is a beauty and cosmetics retailer that really doesn't rely on the sale of products for revenue or profitability. In fact, the brands that they carry actually pay them to be carried in the store. And in return, that store creates amazing amounts of really deep, engaged content, whether it's in-store events or online content created on behalf of their vendors. And as I said, they charge an upfront fee for this service. So they're not relying on peddling you know, a product here or a product there or a point of margin here or there. They're a highly profitable media engine wrapped up in a physical space in New York City. And I think that is really where the future of retail is headed. On a separate note, I do want to speak to you about retailers that have put a lot of resources into their online store in recent years. What's the best example that you've seen in that regard? Well, I think the nature of online is changing. I think this is really the headline story in online retail is that the fundamental nature of the online shopping experience is changing. And we began to see this taking shape in the pandemic when all of a sudden companies like Alibaba and Amazon, companies that had really been on you know, a years-long tear in terms of growth, uh, both, both from a revenue and profitability standpoint, all of a sudden started saying, we're losing market share. Amazon lost some market share through the pandemic. Alibaba certainly lost market share and all of them pointed to a new breed of online experience that was supplanting a lot of that share that these companies had. And it really is this notion that whereas online shopping was a relatively centralized and search-driven activity in the sense that you would go to a website, search a keyword, find a product, and, and buy it, Now, online shopping is becoming more ambient, more dispersed into the ether. It's finding its way into entertainment properties like TikTok and Instagram. Uh, Shopping carts now are being appended 
to virtually any content experience, whether it's a, a video about musical instruments that I might be watching on YouTube. You know, very often now those videos have a commercial component. So in other words, everything is a store. The store is propagating itself everywhere. And this is really taking the wind out of the sails of a lot of Web 2.0 companies like Amazon. So it really is a story about embarking on Web 3.0, a new level of interactivity, a new level of decentralization of the online shopping experience, and a new level of engagement between the consumer and the site that they're shopping on. And on the topic of Web 3.0, I do want to speak to you about the metaverse next. What impact do you think that that's going to have on retailers over the coming years? I think that the the effect is going to be on par with the, the degree to which social media really impacted the retail landscape. You know, the, the degree to which turning the Internet from a, frankly, static environment where we were really going online to look at not much more than PDFs to a place where we could all of a sudden engage and converse about the products that we were buying, that we could have conversations, we could leave reviews, videos, where the web all of a sudden became a two-way conversation. I think the metaverse is going to have, and Web3 will have, the same sort of profound impact, but for different reasons. Uh, The web is going to start to feel more real to us. It's going to feel more social, more interactive, and and certainly a lot more engaging from a shopping standpoint. So it's going to be profound. So what advice do you have for retailers on what they need to do now to prepare for the metaverse? Well, I think, first of all, don't discount it. Um, there, there are a lot of reasons why someone might look at many of the things in, that, that currently sort of make up this collection of technologies that will comprise the metaverse and look at it with a very skeptical eye. Um, Chris Dixon, who's an investor in Silicon Valley, once said that the, the next big thing will start out looking like a toy. And this is always the pattern. You know, the first mobile phones were ridiculous. They were huge. You know, the battery life was virtually nil. Uh, They were not things that, you know, people could comfortably walk around with. But in a remarkably short period of time, a period of about 20, 25 years, uh, you know, we all walk around with supercomputers in the palm of our hand. So, we have to look at NFTs and augmented reality, virtual reality, blockchain, cryptocurrency. We have to look at all of these things with that same level of, um, of prudence in the sense that these things may be in their infancy. Some of them may seem kind of ridiculous. Uh, spending $20,000, for example, on an NFT that's a, a doodle of a you know, of an ape. Um, you know, it's hard to make sense of some of these things. But as we sort of get onto the other side of the hype curve with a lot of these technologies, they will start to find their utility. They will start to find practical application as part of this uh, gathering metaverse. So I think number one is don't, don't be overly skeptical. And number two is explore them. You know, uh, understand what these technologies are. Understand some of these worlds that will comprise the metaverse begin to make some small bets as a company in terms of how can we how could we explore blockchain how could we at least dip a toe in that water and find out what it's all about i think right now we're really in the education phase doug we're seeing lots of growth here in the buy now pay later category of course Klarna came in first but now 
As you know, Apple recently announced plans to launch a buy now, pay later service within Apple Pay. What are your thoughts on that dimension of retail over the coming years? Well, I mean, you know, the buy now, pay later schemes that that companies are developing right now is, is, I guess, on the one hand, not necessarily a new thing. It may be packaged differently. It may be presented somewhat differently. But essentially what we're talking about here is layaway. When my parents were, you know, first setting out together and newly married, uh, buy now, pay later was, was really, you know, quite a common thing. The only difference was you didn't take the goods immediately. You actually made payments for something and then eventually paid it off and you owned it and you went to the store and collected it. Same sort of thing, though, in terms of being able to manage the affordability of items. I guess my concern is, um, and, and I, you know, I think that this is a legitimate concern, is, is are we really just replacing the word credit card with buy now, pay later, uh, albeit at, at what are often lower rates? But we're already seeing signs in that, uh, in that sector that a lot of young consumers in particular are missing payments on their buy now, pay later deals. So, it's indicative, uh, on the one hand, of a generation of consumers that are not as economically stable uh, or well-off as their parents were. Um, and at the same time, I think it's on the part of some retailers anyway, it's a way of repackaging credit in a way that may seem more palatable, but ultimately may be having the same impact on consumers, making them overconsume when they really don't have the money to spend. And Doug, how important is sustainability in the consumer's purchasing decision and what do retailers need to do to satisfy this? It's important intellectually for most consumers. And I, and I use the word intellectually uh, for, for a very specific reason in that it doesn't always translate into behavior. So whereas the majority of consumers, and again, as we skew younger in the survey toward younger consumers, they are more adamant that their buying behaviors and decisions are being shaped by the social and environmental position of the companies that are selling those products. However, we also live in a world where brands like Shein, for example, an online retailer based in Asia, kind of the fastest of all fast fashion, is growing leaps and bounds. Uh, This is a company that is anything but sustainable, anything but low impact and, and certainly not, uh, not a poster child for environmental protectionism. So, you know, we have, we have the same old schism in consumers where they think and feel one thing, but they do another. I think incrementally, though, incrementally, we're getting there. It may be one step forward, two steps back, or maybe two steps forward, one step back, who knows. But I think we are moving forward. As we enter another period of uncertainty, what actions will enable retailers to survive to be really honest with you, Carl, I think, you know, there's, there's a book that uh, was popular, very popular in business circles, you know, going back maybe 10 or 20 years, and it was called From Good to Great, and it was advice for business operators on how to really move their business to the next level, to become truly excellent at everything they do. My observation after almost 30 years in retail is that what most businesses really need is a book called From Bad to Good. <laughs> and I say that because so often when we shop, if, if, if your listeners are anything like me, 
you find yourself in situations where, frankly, you can't believe that even the basic things, the basic aspects of a retail experience are not being executed properly. Basic things like having products in stock, knowing where those products are in the store, having staff that can very capably speak to the features and benefits and applications of those products, having systems in the store that make sense, moving people efficiently, through the process of trying to do business with you. I find so often I'm discouraged, I'm frustrated, I feel sort of, you know, aghast at what I see at retail. And so I think the objective for every retailer today should be to first satisfy themselves that they are doing these simple things well. Before we start talking about the metaverse and and artificial intelligence and facial recognition and all the other wonderful things the future holds, assure yourself that you are doing the basic, fundamental retail things really, really well. And Doug, finally, what advice have you got for retailers when it comes to employing frontline retail staff? I think that the only thing that you can say is that your return is going to be directly relative to your investment. When we're talking about people, you get a very, very reciprocal level of return on your investment. If you are under-investing in your people, you're going to pay a price for that. And, you know, and I think that through the pandemic, this truth has become even more vivid as people have said, you know, I'm not sure I want to work in retail anymore. Maybe I'll go get a, a warehouse job. Maybe I'll go get a job on the on the end of a phone in a customer service department somewhere. But, you know, the abuse that, that some of these people have to put up with, the long hours, the being on your feet, it's a tough living. And if you want great people, you're going to have to make a proportionate investment to find, to maintain, and to hold the best people in the market. But I will say this, I know brands that pay a 30 or 40% premium for the best people they can find, and I've never heard a single executive say they regret that investment or that it doesn't pay dividends. Pay your people well, ask them to do extraordinary things, and treat them extraordinarily well. Well, if you've just tuned in, that was Doug Stevens, the retail prophet and the author of Resurrecting Retail, who has once again shared some valuable insights into the ever-changing retail sector. Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick.